appreciate that wonderful song service, spirit-filled song service. It's so good to be here. Um, as Brother Philip said, um, it's been 11 years since I've, not since I've been a member, but uh, that was back in uh, uh, October, uh, first Sunday night in October of 2011, uh, after preaching by Elder Sam Bryant down at Zion Church, uh, I became the third member of Zion Church and uh, woke up the next morning and said, what have I done? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Uh, but uh, uh, but let me just say uh, before we start that it has been such a glorious time for me and my family. Uh, it's been a salvation, Brother Roger. It's been a salvation. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Not eternal. Not eternal. Uh, but... Uh, but a timely salvation for my family, unlike anything I ever dreamed of on this earth. Uh, as Brother Philip said, I was blessed for many years. I grew up in an order of independent or sovereign grace Baptists, and hearing the truths, grace, and many other truths, and um, uh, and there was a lot of edification I got. And but quite frankly, when I came to the Primitive Baptist, it was like the doors opened up, and I went from the the, the breakfast nook to the banquet hall, and it's just been such a blessing. So I do appreciate the opportunity to be here. I will also point out that today, tonight is a signal night as well. It's the first time my dear wife, Sherry, has ever been here. Uh, through all these years, somehow, I've been here a few times, and, but it's always been at times she couldn't come, and, uh, and it is indeed a, a pleasure for both of us to be here. You might turn to the 33rd chapter of Isaiah tonight. On the way up there, up here today, and frankly, all day, I told my wife earlier in the day, I said, please pray for me. I have no idea what I'm going to preach on tonight. And, and, and it's been one of those weeks. You know, I, I think it's important that, that those in the congregation who may not be called into the ministry nonetheless understand that the preachers experience the same things you do. We're not some super saints. We're not elevated above the cares of this life, and we can be there sometimes, <laughs> and, and you can too, but, uh, but we're not just generally better than you are, okay? We struggle with the same things. I struggle with spiritual deadness sometimes in my, in my personal walk. I feel that way, and I struggle with, you know, you say I'm going to find the time to study the Scripture. You're never going to find the time. It's like finding the time to exercise. Never gonna find it, okay? You gotta make the time. <laughs> you gotta make it, okay? And, um, I struggle with that. I struggle with, and this week's just been kind of, it's not been a bad week, but it's been one of those, uh, so-so weeks, and Lord, how in the world am I ever gonna preach? And I don't know yet if I will. <laughs> but, but if He blesses, I know I can. But, uh, but on the way up here, we, we live about an hour and 45 minutes away from the church. And as we, we got on, we got close to Tuscaloosa, and then we got on the interstate, and I'd let Sherry drive because I was reading and, you know, praying about what to, what to preach on. And, and the closer I got, the more elevated I felt from the cares of this world. Because it kept coming back to me that I get to go to church tonight. And, and whether I'm preaching or not, I get to go to church. You just, I, I, it's so good to see my dear preacher friends here. Any one of these, I would rather you be up here tonight uh, than me so that I could sit and listen to you, but just the fact of getting to go 
to this place. You know, Isaiah calls this place in the second chapter, I believe it is. He said, the Lord's house will be established. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountain. <laughs> you ever seen a mountain on top of a mountain? You ever, you know, think about these mountain climbers climbing up Mount Everest and they finally get to the top and they finally scale the summit. And as, as they call it, they summit and there's another mountain. Yeah. It's higher, higher than Mount Everest on top of the mountain. That's what the church of the living God is. It is a mountain in the top of the mountains. It is yeah. the highest place on earth. My mother just got back from Washington, D.C., and a tour up there that the Farmers Federation led and leads about every other year. And, uh, and she saw some mighty seats of power, some amazing places that you, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. I've been to Buckingham Palace about 30 years ago or more, a little more than that. I, I went to Buckingham Palace. I saw the very seat of Parliament there in, uh, uh, in, in uh, Westminster Abbey and the big places like that where great decisions are made. There is no higher place on earth than right here at Grants Mill Primitive Baptist Church tonight. You could, you could be in the West Wing in the Oval Office and you would not be higher. You would be actually much lower, I believe, <laughs> than you are right here tonight. So that's what I want to preach to you about tonight from Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 20. Look upon Zion. The city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mass. They could not have spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey. And the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. This is a series of verses in the middle of Isaiah here, quite a few of them like this, by the way, that are pointing us toward the place where God has chosen to put his favor on this earth. Not, this is not talking about heaven. This is not talking about eternal heaven. This is talking about a place on earth where God has chosen to put his favor. And that day, it was literal Zion. It was Jerusalem. It was the place where the temple was. It was the place where God's earthly people, the visible aspect of his kingdom, congregated. You know, there were many, you know, there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is every elect child of God everywhere, uh, certainly. But, but those, that's, in that sense, the, the, chill, the kingdom of God will never be together on this earth. They'll never all be there. You know, I think about families even. We, we, we have a family now ourselves. We have four children, three of whom are married. Uh, and so, you know, it's hard to get them all together. It's hard to get them all together. I remember, I'll never forget, there was a time uh, several years ago when they were little and Sherry's mother was still alive. It was her 60th birthday, I believe it was, Sherry's mother's 60th birthday. And, and she, she was one of seven brothers and sisters. And, and we had gotten them to the house and hit them in the basement, and they were going to come out and surprise her. And I was watching the video some years after Miss Sue had died and saw all of them coming out, and it occurred to me they were all there. They were all there. That's probably the last time they were all together before one of them died, Miss Sue died, and then if one of them died. There's, just, there, there's really only one or two left now. That's kind of the way it is with the 
entire kingdom of God. We'll never all be together here. One day we'll be together. One day the Lord will say, Behold, I and the children thou hast given me, and we'll go marching into heaven, so to speak, and we'll be together forever. Praise God. When the church becomes the church triumphant instead of the church militant, oh, praise God when that day comes. But this is talking about something in the meantime, something here and now. Something that we can have and understand uh, here and now is a place where God has chosen to put his favor. You know, I'm, I'm as big a football fan as, as, as anybody. Not Well, I'm not as big as anybody. I'm a football fan. I know some that are, that are pretty rabid. I'm not that way. But I enjoy, I'm an Alabama fan. I enjoy Alabama football, okay? But God has not chosen to put his favor on the University of Alabama football team, even though it may look like it lately. But I'm just kidding. I had to get that jab in to you. Oh, I'm just kidding. Probably spirit just left. I'm, 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 just, I'm done for the night. But uh, uh, seriously, God did not put his favor upon the University of Alabama football team or upon the Auburn football team or upon any other football team out there that you may support. But he did choose to put his favor upon the church of God that he started, that he started, and I believe that's where we are tonight. Notice what he says here, and we're jumping in the middle of something that we'll hopefully, the Lord being our helper, we'll see a little bit more of the context as we go through it. Look upon Zion. Look upon the city of Zion. He's telling his people to look upon Zion. Have your, have your eyes focused upon the city of God. You know, that's what we need to do. We need to have our eyes as we're out there in the world. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot to obscure our vision out there. But we need to have our eyes, even when we're out in the world, focused upon the city of God. Church is not just another event to check off your to-do list. It ought to be the culmination. It ought to be the centerpiece of your week. If you're blessed as we are to have two services on Sunday and every other week we have a service on Wednesday night, whatever time that is, it ought to be the centerpiece of your thoughts. I know everybody can't be there every time. I'm not fussing at you for not coming to every Wednesday night service. But what I'm telling you is, is that no matter where you are in your job, in your recreation, in your school, whatever it is you're doing, your mind and focus ought to be upon the church. It ought to be a look upon Zion. When Lot looked down there to the plains of Sodom, he saw a lot of fancy things and it reminded him a lot of Egypt. But what he did not see, because his eyes were not focused upon the things of God, upon the city of God, at that time it was wherever Abraham was. <laughs> That's where God had chosen to publicly put his favor, was in the, the household of Abraham. And he got his eyes off of that, and he saw these plains that were well watered everywhere, but he forgot that the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. There's a lot to distract you in the world, but we ought to be looking upon Zion. Notice it's the city of our solemnities. Did you know church is a solemn place? I didn't say it's a sad place. Right. <laughs> I didn't say it's a down in the dumps place. Yeah. It's okay to laugh in church. You ought to have joy and you ought to enjoy having fun with one another in church. It's okay. If you're kids, it's okay to play at church. It's okay to, 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 to have a laugh every once in a while in church. It's, it's certainly great to get together and have, have times of fellowship where you maybe even have laughter and, 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 and fun and that sort of thing. But overall, the church is a solemn place. That doesn't refer to the sound or the, 
or the or the laughter and that sort of thing. It refers to the sacredness of it. It's it's a reference to the appointed. It's a reference to an appointed time for meeting. This is the point. There ought to be a difference in the church service and in what the world has to offer. When I leave Grant's Mill Primitive Baptist Church tonight, I hope I'll feel like I've been to church. I know in some places you go, you may feel like you've been to a rock concert. You may feel like you've been to a place where an entertainment facility or something like that. I'm not running others down. I'm just telling you that the church is a sacred, solemn place. It is a place of worship, not a place for the frivolities of this world. It's a place to get away from the world. If you're bringing the world in with you, then something's wrong. (laughs) I heard a preacher say one time, we just need to get the world in the church. My position is we need to get the world out of the church. (laughs) We need to get God's people out of the world into the church, but we don't need to bring the world in behind us. The religious world has forgotten this. And again, I'm not being ugly and I'm not being harsh. I'm just telling you that, that if your purpose in church is to entertain to bring in crowds. I hope we have, I wish we had this, this building full and had to build bigger buildings to be able to contain all the people. But beloved, if my purpose is to bring in crowds, then I've missed the point of church. Yeah. Paul said, I didn't come to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I know some preachers that think they came to, they came to baptize. And when you think your, your purpose is to baptize, listen, I love baptizing people. <laughs> There's nothing, I, I love to get wet better than anybody up here. I'll tell you, I, I'd get in there now. If somebody wants to be baptized, we'll go fill it up, Brother Philip, and I'd fight Brother Philip to get to baptize him. I want to, I like doing that. But if my purpose is to baptize, then I'll be tempted to compromise on the message in order to baptize more people. See? And that's not what he said. Paul said, my purpose is not to baptize but to preach the gospel, the gospel, the good news, the truth. We don't need the world in the church. The church is a solemn place, and it's a safe place. Look at what it says. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem a quiet habitation. And that's not talking about the decibel level, okay? That, that word quiet literally means at ease or secure, okay? One of the reasons I love being a part of the Primitive Baptist Church is I'm not worried one minute about some Sunday school teacher or a youth director or somebody like that causing problems with one of my members. But we're all together here. I want you to feel safe at Zion Primitive Baptist Church just as much as Brother Philip wants you to feel safe at Grant's Mill Primitive Baptist Church. It's a place of security. It's a place of safety. Over in uh, Psalms, I believe it is, the 48th chapter, Turn there if I can. Got that reference correct? Yeah, Psalm chapter 48. Look at this. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for what? A refuge. A refuge. You know, the church ought not to be a scary place. And that means the message ought not to be a scary message. (laughs) I mean, think about it. I know, I've heard it before where uh, preachers try to scare people into the kingdom. Listen, I want you in the kingdom. I want you a part of that visible kingdom, the church. But I can't make you a child of God. 
I don't care how much, you know, think about it this way. I've, I've used this example before. We've got a basement at home, and, you know, think about it. I, I don't spend as much time down there as I, I'd like to. That's where I have my big screen TV and surround sound, you know, and all that. A few, few months ago, back in, I think it was July of, uh, no, it was back in September, I believe it was, uh, November. I, I went off on one of my trips down to Mobile campaigning, and when I was down there, I got the flu, Brother Philip. And uh, and so I, I knew I had it, or I knew I was sick, and I came back. Sure enough, it was the flu. Well, would you know when I got home, I wasn't even allowed in my front door. <laughs> and, and you know, in past years when I've gotten sick, my wife met me at the door and said, "Come on in, sweetheart. Let me put, let me fix your place here." And the, you know, the, the years past it was that way. This time she shepherded me or directed me around to the basement door and said, "You go in there and don't come out to your well." <laughs> okay. And the only thing different then, as opposed to years past, is we now have a grandchild. And all I could figure is she wanted to go see the grandchild and was not going to be around somebody with a flu that would prevent her from doing that. I'm just kidding with my dear wife. That may be why she didn't come with me very often preaching. But uh, uh, <laughs> but um, but in my basement, I have a little couch and a little place. And if I died in my basement, she could come to the top of the stairs and she could she could threaten me all day long. She could say, if you don't get up here, I'm going to leave you. If you don't get up here, I'm going to burn the house down. Or the house is on fire. And if you don't come up here, uh, then then you're going to burn up with it. But guess what? I'm not going to respond. You know why? Because I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead. A dead man won't respond, you see. You can threaten a dead man. all day. You can bribe a dead man. You can tell him there's a million dollars at the top of the stairs. And if you'll just come up and get it, she can tell me she's cooked her buttermilk pie <laughs> and come up and get it. But if I'm dead, I'm not coming to get it. Because I'm dead, you see. See, the church, the message at the church ought not be a scary message because it's not going to do any good anyway. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't need to know about some consequences of some actions that you may incur as a child of God if you're not obedient. Now, that's not, that's not a scary message, though. That's a warning message. But the church is a safe place. It's a place of ease. You know, I've used this example before, too. You can remember... Some maybe Davy Crockett and the movie, the, the series Daniel Boone and those. You know, Daniel Boone was big when I was a kid. Used to watch it every day, and there was always some Indian uprising, and and the Indians would rise up in war and they'd attack some settlers, and the call would go out: "Come to the fort, come to the safe safety of the fort." And you know, always it would be some old farmer out there would be stubborn and he wouldn't come in, and Daniel Boone would have to slip through the woods and go get him. You know, and that was the plot of the of the of the whole uh the whole episode that day. Well, you see, the point of that is this is that Daniel Boone might can survive outside the fort, but you're no Daniel Boone. Okay? I'm no Daniel Boone. God doesn't expect doesn't call us to be Daniel Boones. He says, get in the fort. You're not going to die and go to hell if you're not a member of one of God's churches. But you're sure not going to experience the degree of heaven on earth that you ought to if you're not. Out in the wilderness of this world, beloved, you need to be in the church. Notice what else it says in Psalm 48. Walk about Zion down there in verse 12. Go round about her. Tell the towers. That means to count them. Count the towers. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. Look at what's in that church, in that 
city of God, Zion, its towers that extend your vision, its, uh, its bulwarks that protect you from the enemy's attack, its palaces where you can rest and dine. There's something sweet about the security of the city of God, Zion, the city of our solemnities. And by the way, it's a place where we should dwell. It's not a vacation spot. It's not a place we visit occasionally. It's a place where our lives ought to be caught up in it. It's a place we ought to dwell. It's a place where we should live. It's a quiet, peaceful habitation. It's a secure habitation. Notice that the security of it is that it's a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes shall be removed. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. A taber- The nature of a tabernacle was to be taken down. And that's what they would have remembered from their history. But this tabernacle is not to be taken down. And in fact, none of the, uh, none of the stakes will be to be removed. None of the cords will be to be broken. People throughout history have been dissatisfied with the way the Lord set up the church and have tried to remove the stakes and break the cords. But the church has survived. And we're told that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, that doesn't mean the gates of hell won't prevail against this church. This church, Grant's Mill, Zion Church, Zion Church nearly died, got down to one member. Your local church is not guaranteed to survive, but the church will always be here somewhere. I believe that. Praise God, the cords don't need to be broken. The stakes don't need to be moved. You know, one of the reasons I... I want to say this, and I want to say it in a way that is clear and not doesn't get the wrong point across. Because I'm not saying this in an arrogant way. Because I know we as primitive Baptists don't get everything just right, and certainly as an individual churches we mess things up from time to time. I know it's Zion. I don't, you know, I do things, I say things sometimes that I I realize later that wasn't the right thing. So I'm not saying we get it all right all the time. But what I want to say is this, is one of the reasons I believe that we as primitive Baptists, how shall I say it, get it the most right, the closest to the Scripture, is that it lines up with everything I read about how the church met and worshipped in the New Testament. In fact, if you want to look at the, the first New Testament worship service, turn over to the books of Matthew and Mark sometime and Luke. And you'll read about a time when in the end of the Sabbath, when the Passover was complete, Jesus himself instituted a new service. They observed the old service, but he instituted the communion service, we call it today. The time when he blessed the bread and he blessed the wine and he passed around. And what did they do? They participated in that service. They they fellowshiped. He prayed. Uh, He instructed them. He preached to them. And then what did they do? They struck up a big electric guitar band and started playing the piano and everybody went out in the Mount of Olives? No, that's not what they did. They didn't have that. They just sang a hymn and went out in the Mount of Olives. Sounds a lot like preaching, praying, and singing to me. That's one of the reasons I love being a primitive Baptist and being a part of one of those churches that we simple worship like that, you see. The church is a secure place that needs no improvement. We need to improve, 
Every one of us needs to improve, and we need to improve the way we treat the church. I saw a sign downstairs. It's amazing. I saw that because I've been thinking some of the same thoughts uh, coming up here. If everybody acted toward the church the way I act, what kind of church would it be? <laughs> oh, my. Let's don't get started there. <laughs> uh, that, that convicts me standing in the pulpit, Brother Philip. Look upon the city of Zion. But now look at verse 21. Let's look upon the Savior of Zion, okay? Because, see, that's why the city of Zion is so sweet. It's not because it's some man came up with it. It's because it's the Savior's city. It's the, it, he is the God of the city, you see. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. The Lord himself is the furnisher of the church. Did you know that? I mean, you have deacons, you have elders, you have members that take care of things, but the Lord is the furnisher. All of this could be just a Rotary Club meeting if the Lord wasn't here. <laughs> this could just be a, a, Zion, a Lions Club meeting or some other kind of meeting if the Lord were not here. See, I didn't get filled up tonight because Brother Philip had such a special plan on how we should do things tonight, and he had come up with some new message for me to preach. I, you're not going to be uh, you're not going to be edified tonight because I'm so smart as a preacher that I came up with some new doctrine. In fact, if I come up with some new doctrine, you don't need to ask me to come back in the morning. Just go ahead and tell me to go home. If he asked me after service to go on home and let Brother Neil preach, I'll understand. I got something messed up tonight. See, it's not me that's furnishing the church. I'm not furnishing the message tonight. Yes, I've studied, and these preachers study, and they ought to study, and you ought to study. But if it's blessed, it's by God. It's a place of broad rivers and streams. Isn't that glorious? You know, when they went out there in the wilderness, they were in the desert, and they came up on a rock. Now think about the nature of a rock. I mean, one of the primary characteristics of a rock is there ain't no water in it, right? I mean, if it was full of water, it'd be mud. <laughs> but a rock, the, the essence of rockness is that there's no water there. And there's no man can bring water out of a rock. I don't know anybody that can. You don't know anybody. Nobody can. But, but God told Moses, one time he told him to strike it, one time he told him to speak to it. And what happened? Water came out of that rock. And notice back over in Psalm 78. Just listen to this just for a second. I didn't mean to go here, but I'm going to. Psalm 78. It says, <clears throat> down in verse 19. Now, this is the negative side. They spake against God and said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? You know, sometimes we ask that from a positive standpoint, and that's okay. Lord, can he? And yes, the answer is. But they were asking it in a negative way. saying, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? You know he can't. That's what they were coming at, at it by. But notice what happened. Behold, he smote the rock that the waters kind of trickled and dripped out and they had to conserve the waters so that they could survive. No, that's not what it says. I'm, I'm glad I'm, talk, I'm preaching to Bible readers here. It says the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Oh, my goodness. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? We're told that the water came out as from great depths. Notice back in verse, uh, back in verse 15, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. It wasn't some brackish, uh, uh, lukewarm water. It was, it was, it was refreshing, clear, cold, precious water. 
Now look, I, I get that if you drive by Grant's Mill Church or you drive by Zion Church or any of the other churches that are represented here, and you compare these buildings to the buildings of some of the churches of the world, somebody that goes by might say, my goodness, there can't be much in that church, that little church. They just can't. You know, I used to do that, Brother Phillips. I used to drive by Zion when it was one member, and I just knew it was about dead. And I'd say, oh, Lord, what are we going to do with the building when Aunt Lorraine's gone? Because <laughs> there's no hope for this church. And you know the story of Zion. Against my better judgment, my carnal judgment, I should say, and against any expectation I've ever had, the Lord's blessed us to have waters out of the, as out of the great depths. And that water was coming out of a rock. It wasn't, there's a well on our farm that it's, it's got sand in it now. It makes me sick because it was the sweetest, coldest water. It's about a 120 foot deep well. And we could get the coldest water out of that. But this water out of the rock, I believe, is better than that water. The Lord is the furnisher of the church. He says, He says that it's a place of broad rivers and streams. I hope you came here tonight to be filled up to the brim. That's what I did. I came here, you know, this morning, if you'd asked me, would I be filled up? I'd say, I don't know about that. I I don't feel much like being filled. I don't feel like there's much the Lord can do with me. But I feel like I'm being filled up tonight. During the singing and the song service, I began to experience the, 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 the Holy Spirit like a stream of water just pouring over me and refreshing me. You see, the church is a place of broad rivers and streams. And notice, too, the Lord, you know, I know Brother Philip is the pastor here, and I'm the pastor at Zion, Brother Neil, and others here are pastors at their churches. But the Lord is the leader of the church. The Lord is the head of the church. He is His church. Notice it says, Wherein shall go no galley with oars. You know what that's telling us right there? The church of God is not a self-propelled ship. The old ship of Zion is not, it's not a place where slaves labor in the depths to try to push the ship forward. And let me just say this. I know most of you here are probably part of one of our primitive Baptist church, but there are some churches out there that cause the members to propel it and to labor. And just like those Jews over there in the 10th chapter of of, 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 of Romans going about to establish their own righteousness. Can you imagine trying to do that? I've been blessed all of my life to be, to be under the preaching of the truth of grace, that it was all of God and not of man. But I know, friend, I have a friend right now that I, I'm thinking of that he thinks that on judgment day, if he hasn't got enough good works to negate some of those bad works he did when he was a young man, he's going to have problems. What a slavish labor that is. The church of God is not a place that the slaves have to labor to propel it. That's what happened in that day. They had galleys with slaves in the, in the basement of the galley and they were pushing it forward and they were laboring and they'd go to the beat of the drum of the works of this world. Beloved, we don't need the beat of the drum of the works of this world. The church is not self-propelled. It's also not propelled by man in the sense of it's not up to man to come up with some way to make it work. It's just simple. Just follow what God said. Just preach what God said preach. Don't try to work up programs and entertainments and that sort of thing to attract the world. You know, when Jesus himself 
went to the well there of Jacob, and he met a woman at the well. She, he said, you know, she, she, he said, give me water, and she said, you know, why are you talking to me? And he said, woman, if you knew who I was, you would have asked of me water, and I would have given you living waters. And this is what she said. She said, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Whence cometh this water? And you know, that's what I get sometimes from the world. They say, wait a minute, you mean to tell me you don't have entertainment, you don't have youth groups, you don't have Sunday school, you don't have all these other things going on in the world, these programs. And So what is there to draw with? You just don't have anything to draw with at your church. Beloved, I want to say to you, we got the best draw there is. The gospel, the good news for sinners, that it's not up to you to get yourself saved, but that Jesus Christ saves his people from their sins. And if that won't draw you, nothing will. (laughs) Let me just tell you, I don't have anything that will draw any better than that. (laughs) Everything I can come up with will... Don't mess up. But you see, the Lord has given us all that we need. And notice in verse 22 here, he says, for the Lord is our judge. By the way, let me, before I skip, let me, let me not skip the last part of verse 21. Neither shall gallant ship pass it by. The church is no place for a proud Pharisee. I know we all tend, you know, I heard the, Old bluegrass song one time. I'm a I'm a recovering Pharisee. <laughs> he said I'm good. That one of the verses in that song said I've been good at confessing other men's sins. I can confess your sins all day long, but I struggle confessing with my own sometimes. But the church is no place for a proud Pharisee. If you believe the church can't function without you, then you've got the wrong attitude. Now now if you feel that way, let me just, before you hang your head in shame and run out the door, you're in good company. There was a man named Elijah one time that thought the Lord was going to have to close up shop because he was the last one left. Oh, Lord, I'm the only one left. And, you know, he had poor pitiful me. And if y'all, you're, you know, I've been there. I've gotten there. I know some of these other preacher brethren have probably gotten there where you feel like, Lord, I just don't see any fruits and I just don't see anything going on out here in my little world. I guess, I guess you're about to shut the kingdom down. <laughs> He told Elijah, no, I've got 7,000 that hadn't bowed their knees to Baal. That doesn't mean he just had seven. I don't believe that means he just only had 7,000 children of God. He had 7,000 faithful children of God over there. There weren't just three Hebrew children in the land of Babylon that, that were, that there was just three faithful Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that particular incident, you see. The place where God has chosen to put his favor, the city of God, the city of Zion, the church, is no place for the gallant ship. This, those that think themselves to be these proud displayers of the banners. And Listen, it's a place for the humble. What did he say when he said, every high hill shall be brought down and every valley shall be made high? That's, you know what that means? Proud Pharisee, to be an effective member of this church, has to be brought down to the same level of that poor despairing one who needs to be brought up to the same level. As I've heard before in a different way, but I believe it's a true statement in, some, in, in the way I mean it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now look, look here, verse 22. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. See, the Lord is the, is the one who gives the rules that we're to follow. He's not 
We're not to go out and try to move the cords and to move the stakes. We're to follow what he says. The Lord is our lawgiver. And notice then what he says. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Beloved, the Lord is the savior of the church. Now, I mean, certainly he's the savior of every single one of his children in an eternal sense. I'm not, but I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about the fact that there is salvation in the church of the living God. Peter told them on the day of Pentecost that it was all of Christ, that Christ died for them, and that Christ is the one that put away their sins. And then he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Was Peter being schizophrenic and mixing up the message and, and, and blowing a, a, a sound on the trumpet that, that was uncertain? No, he was explaining to them that now you've been born again. Now you are a vital part of the kingdom of God. You're in the sense that you have new life within you. Now save yourselves from this crooked and wicked generation. And you know where you can do that? In the church of the living God. In the church. See, the Lord is the Savior of the church. It says, He will save us. He will save us. And, and, and notice how it is that He saves us. We need, a, we need to see... A little context here. I told you I'd do that as we kind of bring this to a close tonight. If you go back to the very first of this chapter, he starts off talking to somebody other than his children. In very, the very first verse, chapter 33, he says, Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and thou dealest not, they dealt not treacherous, treacherously with thee. And he talks about them spoiling and being treacherous. And then he talks about the Lord being gracious to us. Now notice, though, that when he's talking to they or thy or them, it's to the wicked. So this verse 23 is not out of place. In the context, he's switching who he's talking. Notice what he says. He's switching who he's talking to here. Thy tacklings are loose. That's not to God's people, and that's not to the church. That's to the enemies of God's people. And notice what he's about to tell us. He's about to tell us that the church will save us from our enemies. Did you know that? I know God is the deliverer and he's the reason the church is here. And certainly he's delivered us from the enemy of, of death, hell and the grave. But in this life, child of God, he's given us a place of refuge that will save us from the enemies of this world. Thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mass. They, they could not spread the sail. These enemies, it's as if an enemy armada were coming up against the city of God. And as they get closer, suddenly they couldn't even unfurl the sails. They couldn't, they couldn't guide the ships. The rudders just went all haywire. And suddenly they're dead in the water, if you will. I want to say to you, child of God, in the church of the living God, the enemies of God have no strength when we do it right. What are the enemies of God? The world, the flesh, and the devil. So guess what? You're one of the enemies. <laughs> Don't ever forget that. In the context of the church, you could be the worst enemy that the church has. Every time I go to church, I pray, Lord, don't let me mess it up. Don't let me mess it up, especially when we have a conference, <laughs> especially when we have business meeting. You know, we, we recently built a new sanctuary and, uh, you know, had to get all the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the color of the carpet. I, I wasn't worried about false doctrine creeping in. I was worried about the church splitting wide open over the color of the carpet. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And that may be a little bit of an exaggeration. We actually went through it great. Everything was good. But you know what? We got down to the very last thing we had to decide. The very last thing. 
was whether or not we were going to put blinds on the window. <laughs> and that was the most contentious issue we had the whole time. And the day we finally had to decide it, by the way, I had happened, I, I think the Lord did this and drew my mind out to it. I, for some reason, I look at YouTube every once in a while to see different, you know, sermons and movie clips and that sort of thing. What kept popping up that whole week on YouTube was videos of NFL football players who would intercept a pass on their own one-yard line, and they'd run all the way down to, to the end zone, and as they, but when they got to the half-yard line, they'd drop the ball. And somebody else would pick it up and go store, score a touchdown in the other direction. And what kept coming back to me and what I should share, you can tell you what I shared with the church when we had that business meeting to find, decide the last thing that was the most contentious thing. I said, look, we've made it this far. Don't fumble the ball now. <laughs> and, and, and praise God we got through it, and it was fine. And everybody still loves each other, and, uh, and we've got blinds on the windows. But anyway, that's a, uh, but here's, here's the point, okay? The, the tacklings are loose. The enemy's tackling. They have no... Even your flesh, if you're focused upon the Lord and the worship of, of, of Him while you're here, if you're trying to worship Him in spirit and in truth, I promise you, you'll have the most strength against your own flesh that you'll ever have. I've had less temptation in church than I've ever had anywhere else. <laughs> now listen, it's still there. Thoughts go through your head. Uh, anger can come up. Bitterness, that sort of thing. But if you'll focus upon Him, how can you have any anger and bitterness? against your brother or sister when your vision is upon the bleeding Savior on the cross. When you, when you see a vision of Him before He goes to the cross stooping down on His knees and washing the feet of one who was about to deny Him three times and curse while He did it. And yet you can't take it from your brother and your sister. I, I tell you, beloved, that vision will sustain us and will drive the enemy of the flesh away. The church will save us from our enemies. And let me show you something else as we close. The church will give us hope. And I think that's the thing we need the most in this dark world. Notice what he says. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey. I, I almost can't read that without tears. Because I've seen the National Geographic channel and the stories about the lions and the ones that they take down. It's the lame that is the prey out in the world. It's that little wildebeest that's limping. It's that little impala that's struggling, that's sickly and driven off. It's a death sentence in the world, in the animal world, to be driven off alone. But I want to tell you, child of God, you may be limping, you may be straggling, you may be losing in this world. You may be the prey in the world. In the kingdom of God, it's the lame that take the prey. You know what that means? The lame is the victor. The lame is the lion, if you will, in the kingdom of God. The lion will take the prey in the world, but the lame will take the lion in the kingdom of God. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that? I need that. I need that hope. So I see the little, the little stumbling ones in the world all being eaten alive so, so many times. I spent a career prosecuting. Cases for victims that, that were just 
taken advantage of and spoiled by this world. Praise God. Every once in a while, every once in a while, Brother Philip, I got to tell them, even some of the defendants, I got to tell them there's a better way. There's a better message out there than what the world's giving you. The lame take the prey. And it's inhab- and the inhabitants shall not say, I'm sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquities. What a condition it is to be a child of God. Especially to be a child of God in the kingdom of God, in the church of God. I've got some sicknesses. I've got some, I know people that have some really serious illnesses. I know people that are struggling with depression. I know people that are struggling with cancer, with diabetes, with all sorts of problems. But and even when I'm sick and I'm things I struggle with when I'm in the church, I'm not sitting around singing, woe is me. I'm singing, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Because what it what I learn here is that this life is not all there is to it. And in fact, what I get here is a little taste of the next life. You know this fellowship that you're feeling tonight, this spirit of God you're feeling tonight? It's going to go away, I'm sorry to tell you. About the minute you get on I-459 out here and try to merge, it may go away. <laughs> but one day it's not. And you can come back in the morning, and if the Lord blesses, you can get it again. And you come back Sunday, and you can get it again. And every week you can come back here, and you may be the lame of this world, but you can take the prey in the city of God. Praise God for our eternal salvation, but praise God for the salvation we find in His church here and now. Brother Philip.